1: All right, welcome to part two of Sixers Daily. Now, for part two, going to be talking about two teams who are still playing in the NBA playoffs. As much as we'd like to see the Sixers there, it's going to be the Dubs, the Celtics. I think it's going to be a great series. Joining me for this one, Mr. Adam Taylor, who writes for our sister site Celtics blog. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, buddy. How about yourself? I'm doing good. And and also joining us a fella I used to work with, Brady Klopfer from our site Golden State of Mind. Brady, what's going on with you, my man?
2: How much jazz just excited for this and happy to talk with you. Haven't podcasted with you in a hot minute.
1: I know it's 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 been a while, but let's get into this one right now. Okay. These two teams split their regular season meetings. Of course, in the first matchup, Celtics were out, were without Grant Williams and Al Horford. Um Golden State was out, Jordan Poole, and Klay Thompson wasn't back then. The teams are relatively healthy for their second meeting, although that was a big moment there where Steph Curry ended up spraining his foot. Marcus Smart dove down to get the loose ball, ended up injuring him, resulted in Curry missing the last couple of weeks of the regular season. But... The team's starting to round into form in terms of getting guys healthy. Robert Williams still dealing with some knee issues after getting surgery late in the season. He did miss a few games in round one as well. Adam, I want to start with you. We saw the impact Kavon Looney had against the Mavericks and Dallas, a much smaller team than Boston. But when you look at Robert Williams'
0: health, how important is he for the Celtics to be able to win this series? Yeah, Looney's got a good track record against Boston just in terms of controlling the glass and being a just... I don't like using the word nuisance because I find it like I'm not trying to say that he's not a good player in general, but he's just very active, right? He's very pesky. Um, I feel Robert Williams being there is going to be huge just for to be able to have that two big lineup where you can have Rob rotating over to protect the rim and be able to pull down boards. That's going to be huge. And as you saw against Miami towards the end of that series, where Rob was just a shadow of himself without Robert Williams at 85% or above, The Celtics are really susceptible to giving up those um, those offensive rebounds, and Miami took huge advantage of that. And if Robs not at one like close to one hundred percent, I think that Kevin um, Looney and then some of the other Warriors guys are going to be able to crash the glass quite easily and punish Boston on the offensive boards.
1: And, and you're looking at this brady from from a health perspective for the warriors and we're getting news now andrea Iguodala, i haven't seen him throughout the playoffs gp2 of course ended up sustaining that injury against the grizzlies and otto porter who i think has been underrated and a spectacular signing for for the dubs in terms of giving them bench and, and solid uh depth pardon me and solid minutes off the bench you're looking at Potentially having those three guys back, Brady. How do you think that bodes for Golden State to get to get Porter Jr. GP2 and and Iggy back in the lineup?
2: It's huge. You know, Porter's been been a super sub so far in the playoffs for the Warriors because he's just he's everything that the team wants to do. You know, he's the guy who keeps the ball moving. There's no stagnancy there. He can defend multiple positions, switches very easily. He crashes the glass, which is really important given how small that they've been playing lately um and he can shoot threes so he's really just that you know consummate bench role player who you want to be able to play 20 to 30 nights or minutes on any given night um getting peyton back would be huge just because it gives them a disruptive element on the perimeter that they don't have um you know wiggins has done a good job as an on-ball defender in the postseason he's really stepped up there but He's more of the guy who kind of puts the clamps on and less of the guy who really disrupts you forces turnovers and gets in your head a little bit. And, and that's what Peyton is, which is fun since Boston obviously has that as well in Marcus smart. But I think, you know, I think Peyton will play a little bit sparingly, but they're going to throw him in there every now and then, and just disrupt someone, maybe even a bigger guy could be Jason Tatum. We've seen them put, um, Peyton on Luka Doncic. We've seen them put him on Nikola Jokic. Uh, they like putting him on taller guys and getting disruptive. So I think he'll end up playing a, a, a pretty decent role, but maybe in smaller minutes than Porter does. Iguodala, I think, is going to be that guy who is, if, if he's healthy, I think he's going to be kind of on the back of the bench. Spark plug if the team is struggling and Steve Kerr needs to try a different button because nothing else is working. I don't think they're going to plan on putting him in just because he hasn't looked great. He hasn't been on the court in a while. And right now they have a pretty set rotation. If everyone else is healthy.
1: Now, fellas, we're looking at this, both teams are very deep and you know, they're not just hot, you know, top heavy. Obviously you have the big guns that they got a lot of depth. As, as you mentioned, you were talking about guys, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, you can go down the line. Um, Brady, you're mentioned now with, with the Warriors, obviously you got guys like Jordan pool, Otto Porter. So they got these good guys who are, who are not just superstars who are supporting, they're big guns and when you look at the top two players and adam we'll start with you you basically got curry and thompson against jason tatum and jalen brown who would you rather have on your team adam and and which of those in a two-on-two comparison of
0: of the two teams has the advantage oh man from a i think i have to go with tatum and Brown just because of the age so if they're on my team i know i've got multiple years left of them whereas curry and thompson are getting you know they're going into their like their early mid early to mid 30s obviously from a skill standpoint you want you want Steph Curry and Clay Thompson they've been there done that you know they bring championship experience I think that the and that experience is where I think Golden State has the edge at the moment like coming into this series the biggest thing I'm concerned about is the fact that Boston has no one with any NBA finals experience and then coming up against Clay. Steph, Draymond, and a bunch of other guys that have multiple finals appearances under their belt. So for me, I would have to say that Steph and Clay are the ones that are going to give the advantage here. Uh, just to be straight honest without any bias, I do think that those two are more, more capable of leading you to a championship this year just because they've been there and they know how to navigate the expectations and pressure.
1: Brady, when you're looking at, and, and you mentioned potentially putting GP2 on on Jason Tatum, How else can can the dubs slow him down? Like you look you look at what he's done this this postseason. Obviously, he's had some some major games with with 40 points, but, you know, he's currently sixth in scoring at 27 points per outing throughout the postseason. But, Brady, when you're looking at it, like if you're Steve Kerr, who are you starting on Tatum and who else do you expect to see the coaching staff try and throw on him to try and slow him down?
2: It's going to be a really fun matchup. I think, I think Andrew Wiggins is going to draw the initial assignment there. I think that's what makes the most sense. Um, They like to keep Draymond as a little bit more of that kind of free safety Rover role where he can be a help defender. He can be in the paint, uh, protecting the rim a little bit and, and Wiggins in the postseason has been an absolutely fantastic on ball defender. Um, Even against a little bit bigger players. He did a really, really good job against Luka Doncic, in the semifinals. Uh, He's just a guy who's equipped to make that work as for like how they play him. I mean, this is no disrespect to Jason Tatum, who's obviously one of one of the better players on the planet right now. Um, But I think at this stage in his career, his skill set works very well for the Warriors with what they like to do on defense. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you if you watch the way they played the Nuggets and the Mavericks, Um, and really this is the way they've played defense for years now, is they let the star players get their points. Nikola Jokic scored a lot. Luka Doncic scored a lot. John Morant scored a lot when he was healthy. And and what the Warriors really focus on is they do a lot of kind of hard single coverage where they let the guy eat, but they disrupt the offense enough that, that the rest of the players aren't going to get going. So I think we're gonna see that a lot. We're gonna see a lot of single coverage with Andrew Wiggins. Draymond will spend time on him. Gary Payton will spend time on him. Clay Thompson will spend time on him. Porter, Iguodala, if he gets in the game, they're gonna throw a lot of looks at him. They're gonna throw some traps, but ultimately I think the Warriors are gonna be perfectly content with letting Jason Tatum score 30 to 40 points every night. They're just going to wanna make sure that in the process of doing that, the offense is disrupted, that those 30 to 40 points are coming on isolations. They're not coming because of good ball movement. They're not coming in transition. Um, And that on the times where he isn't scoring no one else is getting that clean clear look they're not going to do the double or triple team where he's able to then kick it into the corner and someone's wide open for a three. They would rather take that away disrupt the total offense let the superstar get his big point numbers, but have the entire offense dragged down a little bit so I think that's what we're going to see from them and I I think they're pretty well equipped to, to do that.
1: Yeah. And I, I, love what I've seen from the Warriors in terms of adjustments ever since Steve Kerr signed on back, you know, in that 2014, 15 season, the dubs have been great at not just sticking with one thing. And you see that in the NFL guys like, you know, Bill Belichick, one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach of all time, always tries to play to what his opponents doing rather than sticking to a specific game plan and not going away from it. So that's one thing I know that the dubs do a great job of. You're looking at these two teams, fellas. Um, you know, in every basically advanced metric, they're they're opposites in certain ways, where the Warriors highest scoring team in the NBA playoff scoring just over 114, Boston sitting at 107. And then you look at the defensive aspect of it, the Celtics second in opponent's field goal percentage, Golden State is third, but Boston only giving up 101 points per game. The Warriors are giving up just over 109. Adam, when you're looking at this and, and Marcus Smart, the reigning defensive player of the year has done a fantastic job on Steph Curry throughout his career, held him to just 29% shooting from the field. When you look at not only the smart Curry matchup, Adam, but trying to slow down Klay Thompson, trying to make sure Jordan Poole doesn't go on a heat check, what else are you expecting the Celtics to try and do to slow down a very
0: good offensive team in the dubs? Yeah, the biggest concern is at the moment, one of the biggest aspects of the Celtics' defense this year has been to take away the rim. And the Warriors don't need to get to the rim to generate their offense. They do some great um, motion offense. They're really good at running corner actions and coming off pin downs. So it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment in terms of asking more guys to guard up towards the perimeter more consistently. How they slow? like I, I'm quite confident that Jalen Brown is going to be able to hang on the perimeter getting switched quite well. Like he's had a good defensive postseason. Whereas usually, like he, you know, he's hit or miss. The the bigger question to me is there's just so many shooters and so many scorers on the Warriors roster that you can take away Steph with Marcus to, to the best of Marcus's ability. I don't know how, lo- how long you're going to be able to hold him down on a seven-game series. You can limit Klay Thompson, but then as you said, Jordan Paul can hurt you. Draymond isn't isn't the best three-point shooter, but he can give you some. Um, so I think that, and then obviously you got Porter Jr. and so on down the list. I think that it's going to be a lot of perimeter switching. I, I'm not sure where, where they put Rob. I know that against Miami, they, they were quite happy putting Rob in the corner and asking him to guard corner freeze, And he got a few blocks there, so I could see them doing that again. But the biggest concern for me is how much the Warriors do stretch out your defense and then they attack you downhill because you're so stretched out. So I'm, I'm interested to see what Udoka does there and maybe they move away from that two big lineup and start with Grant Williams, just for that, that perimeter versatility, that would be the one adjustment I'd be expecting to see quite early is moving Grant into that starting five.
1: Brady, are we going to start with the hot, hot take of, Oh, Marcus Smart intentionally injured Steph Curry. We got to find, you know, they're going to be out for, for vengeance in this <laughs> one. Are we going to, are we going to hear anything about that from a golden state perspective?
2: i don't think so to be honest you know the warriors have been pretty transparent with these kinds of things you know we obviously all heard the quotes from not just steve kerr but the entire team when dylan brooks injured gary payton the second and and truthfully there was just no comments about that with marcus smart um i don't you know they called it reckless i believe but no one called it dirty um draymond has spoken you know very openly about his respect for marcus smart you know he. He said he had no. He was happy that Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year, and that he thought he deserved it. Uh, so I don't. I don't think there's much animosity there. You know, the Warriors are pretty arrogant, so I'm sure they. Will, you know, they'll use any bulletin material that they can get. But but I think they have respect for Smart, and I don't think they liked that play. But I don't. I don't think they thought it was out of line per se.
1: Uh, Brady, I want to stick with this too, because you're looking at the ESPN BPI, they're giving Boston an 86% chance to win this series, which is crazy to me because I I think that these two teams, when I say evenly matched, they're very different, but they're going to bring out the best in each other. I think it's going to be a long series. We'll we'll get into predictions at the end here, but looking at this, like the dubs, six finals in eight years, obviously you had the year that, that Clay was gone. The first time Steph played five games, that was a disaster. And then the pick was a disaster because Brady, you remember I was covering the Warriors with you, James Wiseman. Oof, We can, well, that's a, Ooh-wee. that's a separate pod, podcast topic for another day. But w- when you look at the analytic type numbers and, and uh, if you paid attention to like basketball reference, especially as you got into the second half of the season, they had the Celtics with, with very high odds to win the title. And people are like, what the hell are you talking about? They're fifth in the East, but they, they slowly climbed up, obviously finishes as, as number two seed. And we saw how good Boston was basically after Christmas on, but when you look at these analytic type numbers, why do you think they're giving the Celtics such an advantage in this series?
2: It's a great question. I mean, Boston's, they have been really fantastic. And I think people, you know, sometimes people get a little too hung up on win loss record and and maybe should be looking a little bit more at, at point differential net rating, things like that, you know? Um, and, and Boston really did look like an elite team, I think for the latter half of the season, maybe even the the latter two thirds and, but the problem with a lot of these models is, you know, and and you know me, Jazz, I like the advanced stats, I like these kinds of things, but you know, they're looking at the entire season and and how a team has performed. And you look at the Warriors where Clay Thompson missed 50 games, Draymond Green missed 30-something games. And the, you know, the fifth not only did Clay Thompson miss 50 games, but he spent, you know, like 20 of the 30 games he did play trying to shake off the rust and get back into rhythm. Um, Andrew Wiggins had a slump that he seems to have broken out of Porter missed a lot of games. Um, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to take that approach to predicting a series when really both of these teams look so much different than they did. If you just take a snapshot of the 82 game season, they they're both very different teams right now. Um, and so I think. I think the Celtics are justifiably darlings because they played consistently great basketball for the last few months of the season. um, And all of those advanced metrics really look good in their favor. Um, But I think if you only took the games where the Warriors were healthy and had shaken off the rest, you probably find a team that also looked really, really good. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and and I say that too, Brady, you look at it, at how well the Warriors started, you remember, and then they kind of fell off and then they obviously kind of, you know, played relatively good throughout the final, you know, third of the season. But that's the opposite of what we saw, Adam, with with the Celtics, who we said were we're not looking good. Everybody was questioning Brad Stevens and Ime Odoka. And obviously nobody's saying that now with the Celtics being back in the finals for the first time since 2010. But we'll wrap things up here, fellas. I'm going to put you both on the spot. Adam, we'll start with you. What is your prediction for this series and who do you think comes out on top and
0: how many games? Oh, I wouldn't be a Celtics cover or a Celtics fan if I didn't take Boston. I do think <laughs> it's, like, it's just, it has to be just for, um, I think it's going to go seven games. I can't see this being over as so quickly on either side. I think both teams are too evenly matched, too talented. So I'm going to go Boston in seven. Brady, what about you?
2: I'm going to go Warriors in sixth. Um, I think it's going to be a a very close series through and through. Uh, I think it's gonna be very well, very well contested. I just, I think the Warriors have two edges in this series. I think they have the matchup edge just in that. I think I like the way their defense plays against the way Boston's offense plays. I like that more than the way Boston's defense plays against the way the Warriors offense plays, even though Boston obviously has a tremendous defense. Um, I just think the stylistic matchup favors the Warriors a little bit. And then as Adam pointed out earlier, there's just a huge experience gap here. This is the sixth finals appearance for, for this Warriors core. Um, There's just that extra element that I think when, when you get into the fourth quarter of games and it's close, or maybe you're down by five or 10 points, there's going to be a trust with the Warriors who have done this so many times and you know, Draymond Clay and Steph have played together for a decade, they have so much chemistry and just inherent trust in each other. And I think that that's gonna be uh, kind of a turning point. So I'm gonna say dubs in six.
1: Well, the least surprising thing of this podcast is Adam took the Celtics and Brady took the Warriors, (laughs) right? So I mean, yeah, not expecting anything else uh, coming into this one. For me personally, I just want to see some games that are close. Obviously, the conference finals were were disappointing on on both ends in, in terms of well, other than the game seven between Miami and Boston. Didn't see a, a ton of good basketball. So as a Hoops fan, and an, I feel like Philly faithful are going to be pulling for the Warriors here, even though they get a lot of hate because they've been so good. But obviously, the Natrick Celtic Sixers rivalry, I think we're going to see a lot of people pulling for the Warriors as well. Uh, fellas, I know you're busy. Everything kicks off on Thursday. So I want to thank you both for taking the time out to to join me on this.
0: Thank you, man. Thank you for
1: having me. Thanks, Jazz. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Sixers Daily. As I mentioned, don't miss part one. Dave and I discuss the Sixers draft options. We also get into Joel Embiid's injuries and what the Sixers should be doing with the backup center spot. Sean will be back with the Talking About podcast on Friday. He'll be doing a deep dive on George Niang's season. And then we'll have you pretty much well covered through everything else that happens throughout the Sixers offseason. Don't forget to check us out at LibertyBallers.com.